Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. lesson and sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's the 10th chapter. We're going to take a look at verses 25 through 37. So again, this is Gospel of Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. It says, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children God. Be God. God. Friends, I was blessed this past week to be able to serve as pastor in residence down at Camp Don Lee. Now, those that are unfamiliar with Don Lee, it is a Methodist camp that sits on the Noose River in the tiny little town of Arapahoe. And it offers sailing and canoeing and fishing and swimming and archery and obstacle courses and all kinds of things. But it's all done with God as the center. There's morning watch, which is a time before breakfast where the camp gets together to pray and sing and hear a a Bible verse or two as well as a devotion. They sing prayers before every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They have worship each and every night. 
And then before they go to bed, each cabin has their own time together of evening vespers where they pray and discuss the ways they saw God during the course of that day. It's an amazing time. And if you have anybody in your family or friends of yours that are looking for something to do next summer, I can't recommend Camp Don Lee enough. But as pastor in residence, one of my duties, or some of my duties, were to lead the morning watch services as well as the evening worship services. And the theme for camp this week, or this summer rather, is fruit of the Spirit. And there are nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And there just so happens to be nine weeks over the summer where camp is open. So each week this summer at Camp Don Lee, they've been investigating and talking about one of the fruit of the Spirit. The summer, I, the week I was there this past week, the fruit was goodness. Now, in getting ready for camp, what I came to find out was that goodness and all the fruit of the Spirit is about action and behavior. It's about doing something. Goodness in the original Greek means doing intrinsically good actions, a zealous activity to do good for another person's benefit. A zealous activity to do good for another person's benefit. But here's the thing. The engine or the motor or the push or the want to behind it is the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, friends, we are not predisposed to doing goodness or any of the other fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it's not called the fruit of Pastor Mark. It's not called the fruit of Nathan. It's not called the fruit of Malcolm. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And it's from the power and growth of the Holy Spirit inside of us that propels us to do the things that God wants us to do and exhibit the kind of behaviors that God wants us to show to others. Now, do understand what I'm not talking about this morning is any kind of works-based righteousness. Let me make that clear. We are saved by faith and faith alone. But my friends, true faith is never alone. It is always, always accompanied by the works that are referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And so in thinking about a lesson from Scripture to show these campers what goodness might look like, I thought about this story of the Good Samaritan. Because I think we would all agree that this is a story of somebody doing an act of goodness, wouldn't we? We would say that his actions are certainly a zealous activity for another person's Benefit, wouldn't we? But friends, there's much more to this story than I originally thought. And God put it on my heart this week to share with you this morning the same message I shared with Camp Don Lee this past Sunday night, hoping it will help you see this story and your relationship with Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, in a different light. At the beginning, we were told that Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. Now understand. When we say lawyer here, this is less somebody that went to law school and more somebody that went to seminary, okay? This lawyer is an expert in Jewish law or the Mosaic law. And this expert wanted to test Jesus. 
And he does so by asking our Lord, what does he have to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, I'm sure, knowing about this guy's education, asks him, well, what is written? What is the answer given in the law that you are an expert in? What is written in the law, Jesus said? What is your scholarly assessment of it? And then without missing a beat, the lawyer reels off Deuteronomy 6.5 as the summary about the whole law of God, and he's right. On another occasion, when someone asks Jesus about the greatest commandment of them all, Jesus gives this same verse as his answer. So in this situation, what else can Jesus say to this lawyer other than, you know what? You're absolutely correct. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer was not done. He asks another question, our text says, to justify himself. And he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, most of my commentaries this week told me that the justification part that we read about here is in reality that this guy wanted to know who his neighbor was not in order to excuse maybe some unneighborly behavior towards some of his fellow men and women. Now, Jesus could have answered him very easily. And what Jesus could have done is this, and I want you to do it. Turn to the person on your right and say, Hi, neighbor. Go ahead. Now turn to the person on your left and say, Hi, neighbor. That's the answer, isn't it? We are all neighbors. Everybody outside of these doors are our neighbors as well. But Jesus doesn't answer that way. Instead, Jesus tells him the story that we now know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then it's Jesus' turn to ask a question. And I want you to note what Jesus asks. He does not ask the lawyer, which of these men is the man in the ditch's neighbor? As in status, or proximity, or address, or location. No. He asks, which of these three was a neighbor to the guy in the ditch? Which emphasizes what? Behavior. Action. Doing a zealous activity for another person's benefit. Uh, what you and I may refer to as an act of goodness. And the lawyer gets it right. He answers the one that showed mercy. To which Jesus responds to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus tells us the same thing, does he not? Friends, you and I are also called to go and do likewise in all manner of acts of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we should want to be known by these fruits and not their opposites of hate, hopelessness, unrest, impatience, rudeness, hypocrisy, fear, superiority, and pride. And truthfully, friends, that's pretty much where I had intended to stop the message. But then God, as he often does, 
pulled me in a different direction, and yet it's a direction that you and I have actually traveled together before. You might remember a few weeks ago when we talked about heaping hot coals on our heads and that unfortunate email exchange I had with that basketball parent. You remember that? And we talked about the fact that really all God asks of us is that we treat each other the same way God treats us. You remember? All God wants us to do is to treat each other the same way that God treats us. Friends, I don't think the Good Samaritan is the hero of the story. The hero of the story is Jesus. The story is very much about us inheriting eternal life. But what it really does for us is it maps out what Jesus came to do for all of us. See if you follow me here. That man in the ditch, that's me. That's you. And the robbers who put us there, who strip us and beat us down and leave us half dead, that's sin. That's those behaviors and choices that keep us from living the full, abundant lives that God wants us to. And let me be real honest with everybody in here and everybody watching online. We all have them. We have got to get away from calling out and pointing out particular sins that others commit while at the same time justifying or turning a blind eye to the ones that we do. Because I'll be real honest with you. All sin, all sin puts us in a ditch. All sin separates us from God. Whether it be intentional sins that we commit or because of our sinful nature that all of us are born with, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Paul tells us in chapter 3 of Romans. And so we are all laying there, friends, half dead, in a ditch, in need of help, because we sure can't help ourselves. Now, the priest, the Levite, or the societal or religious or church structures that we may think can save us. In Jesus' time, he's referring to the old law or the old covenant. In our day, it could be any manner of things that we think are important that have nothing to do with our salvation. It could be church leaders that lead us astray, or it could be church leaders we put too much faith in. But roughly what this refers to, friends, is us looking for help in anything or anyone that proves to be temporary or proves to be disappointing. But then, another one comes near. I never noticed that until this week, but in the story, Jesus specifically says that the Samaritan came near him. Isn't that what Jesus does? Comes near us. But that's not all. He comes near us and he sees us. He sees us. 
and he sees us and is moved with pity for us. Just like it says in verse 33. Tell me that's not Jesus. Comes near to us. Sees us. Is moved with pity for us. And we continue. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. We are all wounded, aren't we? Physical wounds, emotional wounds, mental wounds, wounds that are visible, wounds that are not, wounds that the whole world knows about, wounds that we keep private. But friends, notice how these wounds are bandaged up and taken care of. Wine and oil. What's wine usually a symbol for? The blood of Christ Jesus. Poured out for us on Calvary. It's part of our communion liturgy. When you come forward, the blood of Christ shed for you. What's oil usually a symbol for? It's the Holy Spirit. So think about this now. Wounds healed by wine and oil or wounds healed by Jesus' blood and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So again, we're in a ditch. We can't get out. The world can't save us. Other people can't save us. Church laws and doctrines and such can't save us. And yet here comes Jesus. Near to us. Sees us. Takes pity on us. And bandages our wounds with his blood and the Holy Spirit. You're starting to see how this might be a story about our salvation. Where there's more. The Samaritan takes this guy to an inn to be taken care of. You know what the end is for you and me? It's the church. Now, the church can't save you, but you can be saved in a church. You understand the difference? In a church and in a community with fellow Christ followers, the healing started by Jesus can continue for all of us. We can get stronger and stronger. We can get what else we need for the journey, whether it be rest or strength or hope or love. Healing happens here, friends, because the healer is present when two or more are gathered in his name. In verse 35, the Samaritan gives the innkeeper some money and says he'll pay whatever is needed to bring this person to wholeness. Or in other words, he'll pay the entire cost to bring this person to a place of holders. Did Jesus not pay the entire cost for you and for me? He gave his life for us, friends. For you. For me. So that we could have forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting with our Creator. And then here's the one that got me. It's when the Samaritan says, when I come back. Not if. Not I'll try to. Not maybe. When 
I come back to finish the healing process. We're in a ditch put there by sin. We can't get out by our own strength. People come and go, but they can't help. But then here comes Jesus. He comes near to us and he sees us and has pity on us. He covers our wounds with his blood and spirit, paying the entire cost for our eternal lives with God and our abundant lives here on earth, inspiring us to come to church and be in Christian community to get stronger and stronger, happier and happier, healed and whole, and he promises to come back to meet our ongoing need. My friend, if God does this for us, shows us such great mercy as this, how can we not repay this gift? By showering others with that same mercy. How can every thought and word and action not exhibit the same goodness that God gives all of us? All God asks us to do, friends, is to treat everyone that we come in contact with the same way that God treats us. But you see, we tend to think like this lawyer. We think that what we need to do is to scan the society around us to see who out there counts as my neighbor. But here Jesus says that figuring that out is less important than making sure that you yourself act as a neighbor to everyone you meet. Who those other folks out in society are, how they treat you, what they look like, whether or not they seem like folks with whom you have some stuff in common, friends, is not nearly as important as making sure that whoever they are, you are their neighbor. Who is my neighbor, the lawyer asks. And in the end, what Jesus is saying, friends, is never mind that, are you a neighbor? And of course, the two questions are related. I mean, the implication of this parable is that indeed, everybody is my neighbor, which is why I must be a good neighbor to them. But that shift in Jesus' question in verse 36 reveals again, Jesus' desire that we become bearers of love everywhere that we go. If our hearts are full of grace, mercy, compassion, and love for both God and everyone else, then we won't ask, who is my neighbor? Because it won't matter. The question becomes irrelevant if you yourself are already being a neighbor. And thanks be to God that he is a neighbor to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.